And so if you have your Bibles, please open up to Genesis 1 or it will be on the screen. I am reading the entirety of the chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. And so I didn't want to, once again, I didn't want to put this on anybody to have to read an entire chapter of scripture. So I will be doing it and we will be testing my eyesight today because the text from which I am reading is quite small. All right. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And God said, let there uh, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and, and separated the water under, under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning on the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God said that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed-bearing uh, seed plants according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning on the third day. And God said, let there be light. Uh, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them, uh, let them be lights that gather uh, light to govern the day and a lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give them light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and everything living and every living thing with which the water teemed and moved about in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number to fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind and the livestock according to their kind and all the, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all of the animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit uh, with, it, with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So that, in essence, is Genesis 1, the, the beginning of our Bibles, the beginning of the creation narrative. It's a powerful, powerful story. But before we get into that, before we get into that, I just want to say uh, three quick things. First is that last week we gave a message that concluded a series we were calling Jesus Over Religion, which was all about the book of Colossians. And we, and we gave a message on relationship. And I think, I felt in my heart, and I feel in general, that relationship is probably one of the most important and overlooked aspects of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, or what it means to be a human being in general. It was a very important message, and I think pivotal for us. So if you haven't had an, if you weren't here last week, and you haven't had an opportunity to hear that, that's up online right now, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. It's close to my heart, and it's very close to what I feel like uh, will be the core of this church as we move into the future, all right? All right, and uh, again, Ashley said most of this, but uh, at the end of this service, we will be receiving an offering for Chi Alpha, and I just want to encourage you uh, that as we partner with this ministry that's very close to us just in proximity, but also very close to us relationally, uh, that you, uh, you consider giving to that. All right? All right. So good morning, and welcome to Grace Community. Hey, it's in the notes. I say it. Uh, to begin this message, I would like you all to answer a question for me. Can you do that? You can answer a question. Uh, and this question is, how do I know who I am? Or, better put, how do you know who you are? It's a strange question, is it? How do you know who you are? How, how do you define, when you ask that question, how do I know who I am? How do, how do I define who I am? Am. What, are the, what are the things, what are the pieces, what are the, what are the parts of myself that define me, that, that outline who I am as a person? I will give you a few seconds to think about this, and then you will actually be allowed to speak in church. All right? This is good. So just think for one moment. I will not talk as though as to distract you. This is an interesting question, is it? What comprises me? What comprises me as a person? How do I make sense of this human being that is me? For me, it's how do I make sense of this human being that is Nick Nepper? And for you, it's how do you make sense of who you are? So, any answers? Go. Your parents and your environment. Anybody else? We, don't, we never do this, so everybody's really nervous, yes? Catherine, you're the only brave person in here. That's okay. That's a, there you go. We got another one. I think that's all very, very true. I really do. And I do think that uh, many of us define ourselves in different ways, right? We, and sometimes we define ourselves by the job we have, right? You might say, I'm a teacher. I'm a baker. I'm a candlestick maker. Uh, there's none of those, but it rhymes, so we go with it. Uh, I want to submit to you today that it, it is not our vocation, it, and it is not just propositions about myself. I'm six foot two, 
Sometimes I lie and say I'm six foot three, but uh, I weigh 200 and uh, some pounds. Uh, it, it's not the biographics about us that define who we are, right? It is, in fact, the stories, I would argue, the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that we kind of, in some real and true sense, live into that actually define us. I want to submit to you today that as you define yourself by certain stories, certain narratives, certain scripts that you run in your head, that is the thing that actually ends up defining who you are. That actually ends up uh, answering the question, who am I? This is why when I sit down with people for the first time, I ask them this question, tell me your story. Tell me your story. Or tell me a little bit about your story or some variation of that. Because I learn a ton about a person by asking them that question as opposed to asking them just one-off questions about what their favorite food is or where they work or what movies they like. It turns out that the question, tell me a little bit about your story, tends to unlock the, the life of a person in a very real and true sense if they want to have that reality unlocked. And this turns out to be true, doesn't it? That it's the stories that we live into. It's the stories that we tell about ourselves that come to define us. Who do you think you are, right? Who do you believe that you are is in large part defined by the stories that you tell yourselves. Because it is the stories or the narratives that we tell ourselves about our lives that help us to kind of understand or put together the pieces of our lives I tried to stop coughing and it made me cough. It is the story or the pieces of our lives that we put together into a story, right, that makes our lives coherent. This is what the scholar N.T. Wright says, and I believe it's on the screen. He says, when you examine how stories work in relation to other stories, we find that human beings tell stories because this is how we perceive and indeed relate to the world. What we see close up in a multitude of little incidents, whether isolated or more likely irrelated, we make sense of by drawing on story forms already more or less known to us and placing that information within them. This is how human beings, this is how the human mind works, and psychologists have borne this out. The way we draw meaning and significance from our lives is by telling stories, by living stories, the way we understand and perceive things that happen to us is by placing them within what, we, what you would call the story of your life. This is how we make sense of the world. So maybe the question to be asking is not who, how do I know who I am, but is rather what story am I living? What story am I living into? What are the stories that I'm living that give my life meaning and purpose? Am I living a story that tells me that I'm never going to measure up? Am I, am I living a story that tells me that I'm just never going to get there? Am I living a self-centered story where nothing outside of my own ambition or my own drive actually matters? Am I living the story of which, at which I am at the center and everyone else is kind of peripheral to what I am doing? Am I living a story that I was given by my parents or by my culture, about who I am, or what I'm supposed to do, or about my value and worth? And finally, and here's the question, how does God factor into my story? 
Or maybe a better way of putting this is, how do I factor in to God's story? And that is, in essence, what our sermon series is about this morning. We are calling this new series One Big Story, and it's essentially all about the Bible, the Bible as it exists in your hands or on your phones. It is about the Bible. If God wants humans whose brains are wired to make sense of things through story to understand who he is, if if God wants us to understand who he is and our brains are naturally wired to understand things through, through story, it makes perfect sense that God would give us a story as a way of understanding who he is. He wouldn't just give us random propositions about who he is, but rather he would embed the reality of his existence within the scriptures, within a story that, gives our, that is coherent, that makes sense, that sheds light on who God really is. Now, what you may be thinking is that I thought the Bible was a bunch of rules or laws or propositions. Yes, there is some of that in there. The Bible is 66 books written over roughly 1,800 years of time. I've heard people say anywhere from like 44 to 50 some odd writers. It depends on who you think wrote certain books. But these, and it is filled with different styles or genres of writing. There are history books, there are letters, there are gospels, there are law or Levitical codes, there are wisdom books, prophecy, and song books. But when placed together within the pages of scripture, this is how we at Grace Community like to think of it. Um, This is actually on our website, if you could throw up that slide. We affirm that the scriptures are God's special communication, and though diverse in structure, form a coherent and authoritative narrative or story that provides a basis for our understanding of who God is and how we should orient our lives around him. The Bible is God's special communication to us, and it comes to us in the form of a narrative. It comes to us in the form of a narrative. And oftentimes what we do is we chop the Bible up and make it and turn it into all these little pieces and parts. And we forget about the grand sweep of the story of the Bible. And we often end up making the Bible, when we chop it up, a tool that we use for our own ends. But when we see and understand the Bible for what it, what it is, this beautiful sweeping narrative, this beautiful story about God and his interaction with people, when we see it for the, uh, the definitive story that tells humanity who God is and what God is like and the role that we have to play in God's plan, it changes everything. You see, if it truly is the stories that we tell us that define who we are, if it is the stories that we tell ourselves that define our lives, then we can't actually see and understand who God is unless we understand the story he is telling about himself. We can't understand who Jesus is until we understand uh, how, he has been, how he has revealed himself within the pages of Scripture. And ultimately, we can't see our role in the plans and purposes of God until we understand the story that he is telling. And so, through uh, the rest of September and most of October, we'll be Uh, paying special attention to the Bible as a book. We will be looking at the story that God is telling through the Bible in order to grow in our understanding of this story. But uh, more than anything, I'm praying that through this series, basically two things will occur, two things will happen in our hearts. The first 
is that you will get a clearer picture of who the Christian God is, uh, who he has revealed himself to be through the story of Scripture. So that's number one. And number two, I want you to come to this understanding, is that the, 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 the biblical story that the biblical story would become your primary story. That the biblical narrative, the narrative that the biblical uh, writers give to us, the, the, the story of God uh, put down in Scripture would in some real and true sense become your story. You would not just see it as something that's apart from you or separate from you, but you would see yourself as a player, as a character, if you will, in the narrative, in the drama of the scriptures, and that you would see your life within the context of this grand story. A lot of Christians say they believe in Jesus, but they don't live the story of the Bible in such a way that it frees them, uh, that it it energizes and enlivens them. And it's my prayer that this story would be the one that you live, that it gives your life meaning and purpose and significance. And if you have been living a life defined by quiet desperation or struggle, mental or emotional distress, if you've simply been living the story that your family or society have been giving you to live, and it's coming up a little hollow, as we study the story of God, I will say that this is a better story. It's a better story, and it's one that if you live out, if you find yourself within the flow of the story of Scripture, if it becomes the narrative by which you define your life, there is freedom and energy and hope and life. They all reside in some real and true sense within the pages of Scripture. But in order to find ourselves in the flow, in the narrative of this reality, then what we need to do is come to a fair understanding of what that story actually is. What are its movements? What are its uh, what are its undulations? In what ways does it propel history forward? And in what ways are, is God revealed within the pages of Scripture? How does this thing called the Bible actually work? How is it put together? What is it? And so during this, uh, this couple of weeks, what we'll be looking at is some of the major some of the major uh, rocks within the, within the biblical narrative, some of the major plot points even within the biblical narrative so that we can understand what is the story? Where's the tension reside in the story? Where's the resolution reside in the story? Who's the hero of the story? These are all questions we'll be answering in the coming weeks. But today, today, we are going to start at the place where every good story starts, at the beginning. So the beginning of the Bible doesn't say it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It says literally in the beginning, right? That is a very good place to start a story that encompasses the entirety of the history of the cosmos, isn't it? It's not a bad place to start at all. And today, what we'll be looking at specifically is not just the nitty-gritty of this passage, because when we look at the nitty-gritty of this passage, I think what we, we can occasionally miss the forest for the trees. I, I really think we can. Some people, sometimes we look at um, the, the Genesis narrative. Very often in culture, we look at the Genesis narrative, and we make it something that it is not. The purpose of this narrative is to tell us something about the character of God. 
Its primary purpose is to tell us about God. The purpose of this is not to give us a point-for-point scientific explanation of the universe. That's not the point of Genesis. Science has some wonderful and beautiful explanations of such things that happen to agree with the biblical witness in many places. But we can't expect the text to give us answers to questions that it is simply not asking. All right? If the, and the text itself is attempting first and foremost to tell us truths about who God is as, in Genesis, as a creator, as a creator. So the primary question we ask when reading this passage is, what does this say about God? What does this creation narrative say about God? And the first thing it says about God pretty much right out, the, right out the gate, is that God speaks. God speaks. So first there is nothing, and then God speaks. There are numerous creation accounts in the world. Almost every religion that you can think of has a creation, of, has a creation account. They all have creation stories because deep within the heart of every human soul is this question that we sometimes suppress, that we don't want to always address, but it it rings out through the creation narratives of every culture. And that question is, why is there something rather than nothing, right? That question resides in, in the deep recesses of every human heart. And so every religion in some way Uh, or form, attempts to answer this question. Why is there something rather than nothing? And the world's religions answer this question in a myriad of ways. But what is interesting about the Jewish or Christian creation story is the way that God creates, the way that God chooses to create. God creates with his very words, with his words. This is quite different from most of the creation narratives that you will read about in other religions. So the ancient Babylonians were a group of people that were, uh, were contemporaries of the ancient Hebrews and a people who lived in relatively the same region. They lived in the Mesopotamian part of the world. And they have a creation narrative called the Enuma Elish. Can you say Enuma Elish? You did poorly, I'm sorry. No, you did wonderfully. It's, and it, this, the Enuma Elish is all about this god Marduk, not Marmaduke, that's a guy, that's somebody else, <laughs> but Marduk. Uh, and Marduk is, uh, well, he's not a very good guy. He's not a very good guy at all. Uh, but there's also other gods involved in this whole creation narrative in this Babylonian myth. But what's so interesting about the story that the Babylonians tell, and remember, they're contemporaries of the ancient Israelites. They're contem- this, they were telling their creation story at roughly the same time that Israel was writing down its creation narrative about what God was like. And what's, what's interesting about them is that the earth in this Babylonian creation narrative was actually the body of a god, and this god was kind of like a Mother Earth-type god, and her name was Timat, and she was actually kind of Marduk's mom, I guess. Uh, you, can go, you can literally type Enuma Elish, and you can go read it. It's very difficult to read. It's the type of things they made you, make you read in grad school. But, um, uh, meaning, but her body was the actual Earth, meaning that the Earth was in some way eternal, right? That the Earth was eternal, that it had lasted forever in the form of Timat, Right? And that the substance of that God of that earth 
so, the, so basically what that means is that the substance of the earth and that God were one and the same. Does this make sense? Are you tracking with me? So if Timat, if this kind of mother earth figure, uh, Marduk's mom, was essentially her body was the earth, then in some real and true sense that the God and the earth are one in the same. And much of what was created in the earth, what, much of what comes about in the earth through this Babylonian narrative in particular is a byproduct of war. You see, all of these Babylonian gods were very capricious. They fought um, they had uh, physical lusts. They had desires for blood. They were very, they were not good people, basically. Uh, and all of the things that came about in this Babylonian narrative were a byproduct of kind of war, of strife, of pain. There was, there was never enough. There was always a scarcity in the Babylonian narrative. Like, like there was never, like that there was never enough. And everything that was had to be kind of fought over and contended for. Much of uh, what we read in this Babylonian narrative is foundational to how the Babylonians thought. The Babylonians were um, not a very nice people, right? They were prone to war. They treated, there was no such thing as, um, as human rights in the Babylonian world. They were a very difficult group of people. And it's no surprise that a very violent people, right, would come from a very violent story about the beginnings of the earth. Because if you believe, right, that the earth and your God are one and the same and that there's limited resource and that everything that is, everything you can see is kind of a byproduct of, of war and strife and pain, then you think at the very ground of being, what, what's at the very base of your reality is war and strife and pain, and you'll never get out of that cycle. Does this make sense? Because you'll live into that story. You'll live into that reality, and this is what the Babylonians did. But Israel's God is different, and keep in mind, Israel and Babylon are so close together that they're probably, uh, Israelites probably knew of the Babylonian creation myth. They rubbed shoulders with these people. They traded with these people. Israel's God has no rivals, is not at war. In fact, Israel's God is there at the very beginning with nothing else. And God creates with his very words. And so then in existence, there are two things. There is God, and then there is everything else. You see, God is not co-equal with the earth. God's, God is not Father Earth. He creates the earth as, as though it were something that were other than him. Does this make sense? It's a very important point. That God is in some real and true sense separate from his creation. It, it, it is not from his essence, from his substance. It is a word that he speaks into existence. This is important because it tells us that God is not contingent, right? That, that, that God is not contingent. He's not dependent on the earth. He doesn't need it. But yet, there's something in his character that wants to be creative, that wants to be productive, that wants to speak good things into creation. Now for us, this is very, very important. And you might be going, how is it important? I don't understand. The God of the Bible is not subject to creation. He is not a part of it. Rather, he is sovereign over it. Does this make sense? And it's important to remember that God is a sovereign God. 
And people who have this narrative in their minds don't see the world as this place of scarcity where everything needs to be fought over, where, where everybody needs to be elbowed out so that I can get mine. We serve a God in some real and true sense who spoke the very substance of our cosmos into existence, right? It creates a completely different orientation towards our world. It creates a totally different orientation towards the way we approach our lives, doesn't it? So that's number one, God speaks. Number two is God creates things. God creates good things. Verse 12, and this is just one sample from the entirety of Genesis 1. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed according to their kind and trees, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was... Good, you're all paying attention. Now, why is it important that the earth was created good? Why is that an important thing? Why is it good that the earth was created good? Why is it important that God created to start a good world? Numerous times we hear, and it was good in this chapter, right? It is something that is repeated over and over and over. And because it's repeated, a, a helpful kind of Bible reading tip is if something is repeated multiple times, it's probably very important. The goodness of creation speaks about the goodness of the one who created it, right? That from God comes all good things. God created a good world because he is good. He is not capricious or malevolent. He is a good God. And many of us need to be reminded of that reality, don't we? Actually, all of us need to be reminded of that reality. Because let's be honest. Many times when we look out at our world, we do not see the world as being a good place, do we? And very often, the primary arguments against the existence of God, the primary arguments against the existence of a good God are, come from people who look out at a broken and fractured world and say, how could anything, how could a good God create this, right? This is one of the primary arguments against the existence of God. And what we have to be asking ourselves is, did God create this earth good or not? Because the quality of his creation says something about his character. Even there is uh, so when you look out at the world and you see the brokenness, what it often brings uh, out in people is this belief that even either there is not a God, right? So either there is not a good God because they have this assumption in their brains that if there is a God, he has to be all good, right? Or they say that this God is just a malevolent being or, or an absent watchmaker or some other type of thing. And that in, in, order, in order to make sense of the brokenness and the pain in our world, this is how nearly every, every argument for the non-existence of God goes. But Scripture portrays God as the creator of the world, whose character is shown forth in this good world that he created. Now, things do go wrong, don't they? They go, they go wrong not because of God, but because of the free agency of human beings, and we'll talk more about that next week. But the reality, the central truth of this creation narrative, opposed to, that is in some ways opposed to all other creation narratives that were around at this time, is that this God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, 
is a good God who creates the earth as a good place. And what this does for, uh, for us, I think, as Christian people, as people who, who see that this God, this God of Scripture, is the true God, if we acknowledge that reality, what it does for us is it makes us have to acknowledge that the world is a good place. Yes, the world is broken, and once again, we'll talk about that next week. But the world was created good because God is a good God, and anything that we see in the world that is any way, shape, is in any way, shape, or form good is something that we can affirm. Does this make sense? If God created the world good, if the, if the very goodness of those things, if everything in the world that we see that is good comes from God, if he spoke it into existence, then in some sense, if we see a good thing in the world, we can affirm it as though it were from God, because it is. This, puts for, this creates in Christians a very uh, strong, positive outlook, Right? This would make us be a people who don't always look to affirm the negative or be uh, negative about the things that we see that are broken in the world, but rather to see and work for the good in our world because we see and affirm the goodness that God has created. And we see uh, the character of God when we look out at the good world that he has created. Who likes the mountains? Does anybody like the mountains? I really like the desert. The mountains are good, but the desert I love. I don't know why. Does anybody like the desert like me? It's just me. That's fine. I'm comfortable being by myself on this. Uh, When you look out at the creation that God has made, right? When you look out at when you look out at nature, and what it often creates in us is a kind of um, a sense of the word I want to use is numinous, a kind of a kind of uh, a kind of awe or wonder, right? Doesn't it? And even for people, even for people who uh, don't acknowledge uh, the reality of a God in the world, very often when they see something beautiful, it calls something out of them, doesn't it? And for Christians, we are able to look to those things and identify them as the goodness of God, right? It creates this wonderful and holistic approach to the things we see, think, and believe. Understanding who God is through this creation narrative is incredibly important at the beginning of the story. Because if you believe that God created all things good, if you believe that God is a good God who created all things good, then that God is working through the story of the Bible to end things at the place where he began them. So as we, as we, as we process through this story of Scripture, what, you'll, what you will see is that there will be tension, right? Like in any good story, there is tension. There will be struggle, there will be failure, there will be pain, there will be victory. But at the end of it all, and maybe you should come to church to hear about all this, so don't think because I'm giving you the end that you shouldn't come anymore. (laughs) But at the end, everything will be, in some real and true sense, as it was in the beginning. Good, good, good. And this is what God says, both about our world and about himself. So who God is, is important. And what this story of the Bible says about who God is, is important. But it also says some very profound things about us, doesn't it? Maybe for you this morning, God is far off. This, this, this God who is close to people isn't a God that you feel like you're resonating with. 
right? That God is in some way far off. Maybe the life you're living says that God does not much care about who you are or what you do, right? Maybe the evil that you see in the world has convinced you that there is no God. But the truth is that the conclusions we have come to about ultimate things do affect our story. They do affect the way in which we live our life. Is God, if God is far off, uninterested, or possibly does not exist, that narrative will inevitably affect the way that you live your life. If you hold this opinion, it's possible that you have uh, given into a kind of radical self-centeredness that prioritizes only your own life. Because if there's nothing else, nothing else matters, if God is far off, then I'm going to get mine, right? This makes sense. Or maybe it makes you a kind of Epicurean. Do you know what the Epicureans were? They were a Greek group of people, and they used to say, Uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? There's a lot of people who have taken that route in life, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Just maximize my pleasure because tomorrow I die, and none of this really matters because God is not present, and and if he is present, he's probably not good, right? This affects our story. It affects the way we live our lives. But the problem with this is that there are all kinds of perspectives, aren't there? And the stories that we tell ourselves that lead to radical self-centeredness or or lead us to being just kind of uh, materialists that say, eat, drink, and tomorrow we die, they're not great stories, are they? You'll never want to go... Uh, watch a movie about some person who just is like totally living for themselves their entire life and they eat drink and be merry and then they die right that's not that's not a good story none of those those movies don't win oscars do they as people we need to live better stories we need to live a better narrative one that uh, begins with a god who creates the cosmos with a word and everything he creates He creates good. We want to serve a good God who is intimately connected to his creation, who is not co-equal with his creation, that is some way in real and true sense sovereign or above his creation, but is invested in his creation and has set out to create this world to be a good place. That's the type of God that we want to serve, and that will lead us to living a type of story that I think can be incredibly compelling. Now, any good story needs some conflict. It needs some tension, doesn't it? The, the, uh, the hero of a story needs to overcome some obstacle. If there's no obstacle to overcome, then that's not a very good story, I think we would argue. No one wants to go to the movie about uh, the rich kid who, doesn't, who just has a really great life, right, and doesn't ever do anything, just kind of sits in the pool and has a, like, fruity drink, right? That's not a good, that's not a good story. We want to be around people, right? We want to to live lives full of good stories. And the the conflict, the the tension in the story, we'll save to next week. But uh, as we will see, the question still stands. What story are you living into? What have you been living that may have been putting your life on a trajectory that is not the one that you want? 
What type of internal scripts are you telling yourself about yourself that have led you in directions or to places that you know you don't want to be? If you're mired in a work situation that is unpleasant, or you feel like you are always just going to be, uh, just going to have to settle with this deficit or with this pain that you find in yourself. Does your, does, if, if that's the story you're telling yourself, does your story say that you serve a God who, creates, who created a new reality that is this world that we live in? Do you serve a creative and powerful and sovereign God if the story you're telling yourself is one that says, I'm just always going to be saddled with this thing? Does your story say that you serve a God who creates things good, that creates things good? Maybe you struggle with your self-image and self-worth. Maybe you grew up in a family where the words, I love you, were not spoken, and so you feel unloved or unvalued. Do you serve a God who says that he created all things good? Because if you live into that story, the narrative that you're telling yourself about your unloveliness happens not to be true. That the truth of who God is, that the reality of his being a creator who creates things good means that he created you good as well. Not that you don't struggle with sin, right? Not that you're not that you are in need of some reorientation in your life, but that at the core of your being, what you are is loved by God. And if you live into that reality, it changes everything about you. This is a story that we can live for ourselves. Do you serve a God that knit you together, knit the cells of your body together in some true and intricate way? that numbers the hairs on your head and longs to be close to you in the same way that he was close to Adam in the story of the garden. Is that the God we serve? Because if it is, it changes everything about us. It changes everything we think. It changes everything we do. And it compels us in some real and true sense to both love God and love people well. Because if he created me and he created me good, right, and he loves me desperately, then he also loves that person sitting next to you in that seat this morning. It changes everything about us. It reorients our lives. And it, and it really leads us to this place where we love true good and inspiring stories, where we live them, where we live them well. And if you're here this morning and you don't feel as though your life is particularly compelling, you feel as though you're struggling in some real or in true sense with something that you just can't shake free of, maybe what you need is just a different story. Maybe you need to lead, live into the story of the scriptures. Maybe you need to live into the story of this God who creates things good, who is powerful, and who loves you. Maybe that's the story you need to speak into this morning. Would you bow your heads as I pray for you? Father, we love you, God. And we ask uh, that you would help us to see who you are. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I just want to provide an opportunity. If you're in this place this morning and you feel like, I haven't been living a good story. 
I've been, I've been living a story that's something other than the story of the scriptures, that, that I've been believing that God is something other than who God is, and I need to live a better story. I need a better narrative. I need uh, to see God for who God has revealed himself to be in the scriptures, in the Genesis narrative, and in the person of Jesus. I, I need a better story. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand so that I could pray for you? Thanks. Let's pray. Father, uh, we want to be people who live a great story. We want to be people who, when the book or the movie of our life is written at the end, we can say of ourselves uh, that that was a good story, that we lived into this big, grand, and beautiful story that is the biblical narrative, that is the whole sweep of your divine plan and purposes for the world. God, we long to be your people. So, Father, this morning, help us, inspire us, help us to be your people. Help us to see our story within the pages of Scripture. Help us to be inspired by the truths of who you have revealed yourselves to be in the pages of this book. And by so doing, would it help us to, would it empower us to live a better story? Would you help us to be people who both are inspired by and inspire others to step into all that God has for us? We, and we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. So.